Welcome back to the Bristos Made a Baby podcast, season three, baby number three. I am your host, Becca. I am here with my lovely husband, Matt. We are together pretty much 24-7 between working, parenting, our two little girls, making our 1800s farmhouse our own. And trying to live our best, healthiest lives. We are so excited for this new season of life and to bring you guys along the journey for baby number three. Let's go. Hello there, friends, and welcome back. So I am back to discuss weeks 24 and 25 of my current pregnancy. And I also have a really incredible birth story for you guys today as well. In just a few minutes, I'm going to have a mama on. Her name is Hannah, and she's actually going to be sharing three of her birth stories with you guys, one from each of her children. And they're all very different. And I just feel like there's so much to kind of take from her story. So I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. But first, let's chat a little bit about what's happening in week 24 and week 25. So cruising right along, we are for sure in the second trimester, um, actually getting closer and closer to that third trimester. So I felt so, especially in week 24, just I don't know what it was. Maybe the baby had like a growth spurt or something, but just feeling so wiped out um, and just a lot more dizziness than I had experienced in like quite a while um, since those weeks around, I think it was like the beginning of the second trimester when I really started to feel that. Um, I have felt pretty good on the dizziness, dizziness front. And then these weeks, especially week 24, just kind of knocked me down a little bit. So just feeling pretty wiped out. Um, a little bit of heartburn. I am lucky that I don't deal with a whole lot of heartburn in my pregnancies, or at least I haven't so far, um, which I'm really grateful for. I mean, there's a lot of (laughs) difficult things about pregnancy, but it is always nice when there's something that just doesn't seem to really affect you too much because obviously every body, every woman's body is so different and we all kind of handle pregnancy differently. And, um, for me, it's just it, heartburn has never been like a huge thing. And I know for a lot of women, it can be so uncomfortable. So really grateful that it hasn't been anything, you know, out of the ordinary for me. Um, but I do get it like now and then. Um, there's a couple times in these weeks where I actually, there's a supplement. Um, it's called Alkaline. Um, it's Uh, I get it from Young Living and I don't ever use it like for this reason because I I just never get heartburn and it's a great way to combat heartburn because it's essentially like a acid neutralizing, like an alkaline supplement. So um, you just like mix it with a little bit of water. It's fizzy. It tastes like, I don't know, like lime, limeade or something. And you just kind of like toss it back and it immediately neutralizes everything. So um, there was a couple times where I actually was like, okay, I'm taking alkaline cause this is just like kind of annoying. So that for me is like what I would consider bad heartburn <laughs> enough where I'm like, okay, I kind of want to deal with this. Um, so something to look into. I also hear so many moms rave about papaya enzymes as like another natural way to combat, um, heartburn. I've never personally tried them, but again, I've never just, I've just never really dealt with heartburn all that much. Um, so super grateful for that. Um, a few nights of really uncomfortable sleep. Like I'm talking 
tossing and turning, having a really hard time staying asleep because I was just so uncomfortable. And I was like, this feels way too early for this. Like we can't be doing this now. And luckily it was just like a string of like three or four nights and it's kind of resolved. Haven't really had too much trouble sleeping since then. Maybe a couple nights feeling that way, but it, it's not like it started and this is just going to be what it is from here on out, luckily, because I was starting to worry. Um, but basically just when I'm laying down, um, my diaphragm air and like upper ribs, like upper abs, ribs, like that section of um, the body would just be so achy and painful. And like every time I would like take a breath in, it just hurt. And it was just very uncomfortable. Um, And it got worse when I laid down. But of course, you know, when you're sleeping, you know, you're laying down. So, um, so that wasn't super fun. This definitely, like this happened to me like on and off with um, when I was pregnant the last time. And I always felt like it's because Hadley was in like a weird position. Like it was, it was early enough on where she wasn't, you know, it was before, what is it? 32 weeks or 34 weeks, somewhere in there where, you know, if the baby's head down, it's really unlikely for them to flip at that point. It was always, but like before then, so like they could still move around and it, it was like certain times, like I just felt like she literally flipped like sideways or something. And she was just like pressing on my ribs and like, just, I don't know. So that's what I felt like caused it before because it would take a few days and then I would almost like feel like my belly would feel different, like almost like she flipped back head down and it would completely go away. So I don't know if that was what was happening, but it was the same kind of thing where it lasted for a few days and then it just kind of resolved and it's been fine. So thankful for that. Um, So I don't know if it was a position thing or what, but luckily sleep has been fingers crossed pretty good so far um, since then. Um, One super positive thing is the baby is really, has really started to move, um, like starting around week 24, 25, starting to move, not necessarily a lot more, but the movements are just bigger. So instead of like little feeling little pokes and jabs, which is kind of what it's been, you know, the last month or so since I started really feeling them move around, um, it's more like you can feel the baby shifting. Like it's like, Ooh, is that like a, is that a back? Like, what am I feeling? Um, and it's just, it's just exciting to feel them actually become like a little human in there moving around, um, versus just getting like little kicks and stuff like that here and there. Um, so that's always, that's like one of, that's, I mean, that's probably like everybody's favorite part of pregnancy outside of like actually birthing your baby. Um, it's just so fun to feel them move. And when you can kind of like press on your belly and wake them up and they kind of press back, it's just fun when they get bigger like this. So that kind of started to, um, that transformation happened, um, in these couple of weeks. So that's exciting. Um, so that's pretty much it for like updates on how I felt. Otherwise everything is just kind of you know, status quo, still doing my lovely daily injections, um, which are super fun. Um, and just kind of hanging out. I've actually, the, the bruising has started to get a lot better. It's really bizarre. My belly was so bruised up after like the, almost like the whole second trimester and then towards the end, or I guess like first and second trimester. And then, um, it's weird. Like it's, it's, I don't know if it's like has something to do with pregnancy, but I just like, I'm not like bruising nearly as much. Like my stomach is actually almost 
completely bruise free minus like two little ones on the one side when before it was looked it was just not it was looking pretty rough um so I don't know what that is maybe it's just luck I have no idea but continuing with those they're honestly like just not even like a little bit of a big deal at this point I still don't like them I'd rather not do them of course but um it's just crazy just how scared I used to be of needles like the fear was so real and now I'm just like casually giving myself a shot every day and it's just like part of my routine um but yeah otherwise everything's pretty much status quo baby is continuing to grow and that's all just really exciting the only thing that really notable that happened um during this time was Matt was out of town for a couple of days so I was solo with the girls which doesn't happen all that often because Matt is home all the time so we are usually like tag teaming um bedtime and meals and well kind of and anyway so I had them for a couple of nights on my own which was fine um it's honestly easier to do that now than in like the first trimester when I'm really sick and like useless so just a lit definitely a little extra tired um it wipes you out when you are solo momming doing like bedtime all by yourself and feeding them all the meals and snacks and taking them out by yourself to places or whatever um but I even though it's it's definitely more tiring like of course I'd rather have Matt here um it is like kind of nice like it's kind of nice to have just like the one-on-one time with them and since it's just me like there isn't really like much opportunity to like focus on anything else because there's no one to like hey can you like you know I'm gonna run upstairs and like work for an hour can you like hang out with the girl you know like there's just it's just not an option so it just life is just more simple and I'm just like hanging with the girls and it's definitely more tiring but um but I do enjoy having like short spurts of that I mean I would want him like leaving all the time because we love having daddy around but um but yeah it's fine And, and honestly I feel like it kind of built my confidence just like as a mom um, because it's it's been I don't know it's been like kind of a while since I've done that and just having like another baby on the way it was just kind of a moment of like all right like I've got two down like I can do this like we're good I can, if I can handle these I can handle these two it's like not a big deal everyone's fine bedtime went fine um, I can do this by myself like I've got I feel like I've got two down so that's like a good feeling <laughs> going into knowing that you have another baby coming into the mix very soon. Um, so it's just, you know, it's nice. It's nice to have that time for bonding and for just, you know, gives you like more confidence to know that you can like do all these things by yourself. It's really like not that bad. Um, you're just, you, I usually just don't really get the chance because Matt is luckily always here and we always have his, um, his help and we get to tag team most things. Okay, so now I'm going to introduce you to Hannah. She, like I said, has some really awesome birth stories to share with you guys today. I think you will really enjoy hearing the stories, a lot of ups, a lot of downs, especially her third birth story. You guys, I kind of like had my jaw on the floor. I was like, what? (laughs) In the best way possible. So I'm excited for you guys to hear it. So without further ado, let's get into Hannah's birth stories. All right, guys, I'm super excited to have Hannah on today. 
She is going to be sharing not one, not two, but actually three birth stories with us all. And she kind of gave me like a little bit of a teaser beforehand to kind of share what went down with each of her births, but I'm so excited for her to really dive in and share all of the details. They're definitely different. And I feel like there's so much that us as moms, um, who are, you know, have impending deliveries coming up. There's so much that we can learn from her, um, through her experience. And she just has some really beautiful stories to share. So Hannah, why don't you take it over? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be on your podcast. I'm a super huge birth junkie. So, um, it's always kind of been one of my dreams to be on a birth podcast. So <laughs> like bucket list item for me right now. Um, my name's Hannah. I'm 30. I live in Southern California with my husband, Matt, and we've been married for just about nine years now. And I have three kids. Jack is seven. Chloe is five and a half. And then we have a two-year-old son named Harvey. Um, my husband's an accountant and works super hard. So I get to be a stay-at-home mom and we currently are homeschooling. Um, Wait, yeah. we, both, we both have husbands named Matt who are accountants. <laughs> okay. Like, really weird because like I've listened to your podcast probably three times over, <laughs> like my comfort food podcast. Um, <laughs> And in one of the episodes, you mentioned that your husband as a child was afraid of the wind and that was mine. I was like, it's the same person. We literally married the same man. I they, know. I, they need to meet. I, <laughs> it's no, too bad we're on opposite coasts because they would probably I, hit it off immediately. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm like, man, we would have besties. <laughs> yeah, we really would have. Oh man, missed opportunity. <laughs> I know. No. Um, but should I just like jump in? Do I yeah. talk about yeah. I mean, if there's anything like notable, yeah. From the pregnancy. Sure. Yeah, of course. Sure. Um, so Matt and I, we kind of joke that like everything in our relationship has just like moved at light speed because we met at an ugly sweater Christmas party and we were <laughs> engaged before the next Christmas and then married the next June. So it kind of made sense when we found out we were expecting before our first anniversary. Um, awesome. And yeah, so I guess the first thing that you do obviously is choose, where you're going to have a baby and like who your care provider is going to be. And I only had one friend at this point who had had a baby before me um, because I was 23. So I just figured I'd do what she did and have a hospital birth. It didn't really cross my mind to look at my other options. So I found an OB who had really great reviews and I went in for my first appointment and they gave me this paper to sign that was like, Dr. So-and-so had a major hip injury while he was out skiing and he will not be providing your care. I acknowledge that my care is being transferred to this other OB. And I was like, okay, easy come, easy go, I guess. Like I never (laughs) met him. I don't know. So sure, whatever. And you know, this OB, he was fine. I didn't have anything to compare him to. So I didn't really think anything of it. My pregnancy was very straightforward nothing weird. Um, I was super sick, like throwing up 10 times a day for pretty much my whole pregnancy. Um, which is just the way my body likes to do pregnancy. It's really great. Um, but yeah, other than that, it was pretty normal. I had some really weird, like excruciating rib pain Mm. and would like have to wrap my rib cage in an ACE bandage, like, because like the pressure of it holding my ribs pushing out. Yeah. Yes. And actually after I had him, I was seen by a chiropractor and he's like, Oh, like four of your ribs are dislocated. And I was like, Oh, 
why I was in so much pain. Cool. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it was all pretty standard um, until around 37 weeks when I, my stomach just felt super weird. It got really painful. The baby was moving a ton and I was like, what is happening? And then after that, my stomach just felt like really wide. Yeah. And so at my next appointment, I was like, hey, so I think he flipped breech. And they're like, no, no, babies at this point are way too big to flip. And I was like, okay, well, I'm pretty sure he's sideways because I'm really uncomfortable and like I'm feeling kicks in different spots than I used to. So they're like, okay, let's check. So they check. um, And this was at my 38 week appointment that they're able to check. And um, sure enough, he had flipped breech. And so he was literally sideways, like across your belly. Like stomach. That sounds so uncomfortable. Oh my gosh. It was terrible. Especially because like, this is a full size baby. Right. Yeah. It was not great. Yeah. No wonder your ribs dislocated. (laughs) I'm like, thank you, Jack. Really nice. Yeah. Better be really good at soccer. Yeah. Uh, But yes. So, um, they're like, okay, so the plan is that we'll induce you at 39 weeks because baby will still hopefully have enough wiggle room that we can do an ECV, which is like internal cephalic version, I think. Mm -hmm. And they basically like put their hands on the outside of your belly and like manually turn them head down. They're like, okay, so we'll do that at 39 weeks and then we'll induce you right away so that you can hopefully have a vaginal birth. And I said, sure, that sounds good. Yep. Um, it seemed like the best option, I guess. Right. Yeah, so, I would have done the same. Yeah. During that 38th week, um, while I was waiting for my induction date, I did like everything I could think of to try to get him to turn. I did all of the spinning babies moves. They have one where you're like on your elbows, kind of hanging off the end of a couch so that you're like inverted, not supposed to help. I did like sitting in a very, very hot bath. So at the bottom of your belly is warm and I'm putting a bag of peas at the top of your belly. And <laughs> supposedly that's supposed to help encourage. Like I was like, I will try anything. I'll anything. find a flashlight. I don't, I don't care. I'll try it all. And so when I went to the hospital at 39 weeks um, and they were getting ready to do the ECV first, they do like a really elaborate ultrasound to make sure they know exactly how baby's positioned. And they, um, <clears throat> they did that and discovered that he had turned head down all on his own and hindsight. I wish I had just been like, cool. He's head down. I'm going to go home and like, wait for labor to start when I'm like 41 and a half weeks pregnant, like usually happens for first time moms. Right. But you know, you kind of get it in your head. Like, Oh, I'm going to have my baby in a day. And you're so uncomfortable at the end. And I was just like, I don't know. I was, I didn't know. Yeah. I didn't know how my birth was going to go. And had I known, maybe I would have been like, maybe we should try to not bring on every intervention in the world. But instead I was like, sweet, let's induce. Um, so <laughs> they started me with Pitocin cause I was zero centimeters and they, um, yeah, I was super, super reactive to it. So they put me on like the lowest dose And I was having crazy contractions, super long, super close together, like off the charts. And so honestly, I just kind of fluctuated between like the lowest dose and like one little notch above it. And they'd do that. And they'd be like, no, 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 we need to take it back down. Like it was, it was a pain. Um, 
yeah, I don't know if I'm just like really reactive to hormones or something. Maybe that's why my pregnancies are so nauseating. Yeah. But um, after six hours, they came and they checked me and I was one centimeter. So mm. they broke my water and um, that made things a lot more intense. Yep. Um, apparently that really does provide a cushion. You know, you always hear like, oh, keep your water intact as long as possible because it gives you a really good cushion. And in my experience, that is very true. It is definitely um, true. Yeah. So 18 hours pass from the start and, um, we've just been going on and off with the Pitocin, like up and down, up and down. And it's really just giving me the craziest contractions without giving me a lot of, um, progress at this point, I was two centimeters dilated, which is slow, but also, you know, they induced me early. So nobody was really concerned about it. But they came in and they're like, okay, well, at this point, your body's not reacting to the Pitocin at all. So this is called a Pitocin flood. And it means that it's like so much in your body that your body's like, so what? Um, So they they said they were going to turn it off and give me a break, which was cool because then I could eat because I hadn't been able to eat or drink for those um, 18 hours. And so they turned that off. I ate a sandwich. It was the middle of the night. So like the cafeteria was closed. So I'm like, cool. I'll take like that pre-wrapped sandwich. From Soggy turkey sandwich. Day. Let me tell you, that was the best sandwich I ever ate. <laughs> I bet it was. I bet it tasted fabulous. Oh. <laughs> so they um, decided they'd also do, um, I don't remember if I had Cervidil or Cytotec, but one of those things, maybe those are the same thing. I don't know. Okay. Um, so they gave me one of those and they were like, we're going to wait four hours, get some rest, eat your sandwich, your delightful sandwich. Um, <laughs> and we'll come back and we'll check you. So, um, we did that. Um, I was able to get a little bit of sleep because my labor wasn't really like doing anything on its own. It was only when the Pitocin was forcing it. So four hours later they came and they checked me and I was three centimeters. And so they decided to start the Pitocin again. Um, And so throughout all of this, I keep trying different positions, um, like sitting on the ball or leaning over the bed or squatting, you know, like there kind of comes that point where it's like, there's pressure and you want to lean into it because you know that pressure means progress. And so I'd be trying to do these things and the nurses would come in. They're like, your monitor isn't working. You, Uh we can't heart rate. You're not allowed to do this. Can you please just lay in bed? And I'm like, fine. Or I would, I'd be like, no, I'm going to sit on the ball. Cause finally I was like, this is dumb. Like, how am I ever going to have a baby if I can't like get my baby onto my cervix? This right. is So I was like, I'm just going to sit on this ball. And the nurse would just like hover there and like adjust the monitor, like every four seconds. And I was finally like, leave me alone. I will sit in the bed. Like this is so dumb. Um, so 36 hours in going to fast forward a little bit. Um, they checked me and I'm still three centimeters. No. Yes. And so I'm like, you know what? It's been 36 hours. I can't, I'm not allowed to move around. I am exhausted. Yep. Give me an epidural. Like at least let me get some rest before I have a newborn. Yep. Uh, so I get one and I don't know. I was like, maybe I'm so stressed out. I was like clenching my pelvis shut. I don't know. <laughs> so I got the epidural and, um, I'm just going to skip past a big chunk of this because it's all the same. Okay. But 53 hours of labor <gasps> so comes in and checks me and I'm still three centimeters. And he's like, I think it's time for a C-section. Oh. Like 
think that this is going to progress. So at that point, I'm like, yeah, I'll do a C-section. Like, this is ridiculous. You know, I thought I was going to have my baby three days ago at this point. And so we go to do that. Oh, also I was group B strep positive. So during okay. those hours, I received nine bags of penicillin. <gasps> oh my so gosh. I, so inflated by the end of this from all of that and the bags of fluid. So we go in to do the C-section and everything goes fine. Um, they pull out Jack and they're keeping an eye on him. He aspirated during the C-section. So I, I'm like looking over there and kind of panicking a little bit because it didn't, I don't know what like routine baby was just born care looked like, but I could sense some stress in the room. Okay. Um, and then as they're stitching me up, you know, there's like multiple layers of tissue they have to sew back together. Right. And I get my feeling back <gasps> and I've like kind of blocked this out of my memory, but I remember being like, I can feel it. I can feel it. And they're like, no, 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 ma'am. You're just stressed. Like stop thinking about it. You oh, can't. please just pressure. And I'm like, no, this is pain. You're and like, I can feel the needle going yeah. in and out. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I can feel that my torso is cut in half right now. <gasps> oh my um, God. Yeah. So eventually they believe me. And so they give me more of whatever the medication is. Okay. Um, yeah. And so they um, get me all squared away. They give me Jack to hold on my chest um, and they wheel me down the hall to like the immediate recovery room. It's not like my actual recovery room. It's like a little curtain room where they just like, make sure you're okay after the C-section Okay. and Jack and he went with Matt and they like wheeled him down to the, um, not the NICU, but like an observation room. And, um, I guess the pain medication only lasts for like 10 minutes in my body because I, um, got all my feeling back <gasps> again right after the surgery. And so I'm in this room and I'm like screaming and they have to try like three or four different medications, like shot into my thigh. And we have to wait 10 minutes between each one. And it was just a whole fiasco. Um, finally we found one that worked, but at that point I'd had so much, um, medication put into my body that usually after your C-section, you have like a certain amount of time before you're allowed to stand. I think it's 12 hours. Okay. And for me after 12 hours, all they could do was like move me into a wheelchair. Wow, okay. which play in a minute, but, um, yeah. So because Jack aspirated, he was having a really hard time breathing. Um, and I think it's because he was exhausted from being in such a long forced labor. Um, and so like, I of course felt a lot of guilt. Like I felt like this was my fault. Um, so finally they take me back to my room and, um, they decide after observing Jack for a couple hours, they're going to admit him to the NICU. Now, thankfully the hospital that we were at, it has like a really awesome NICU in general, but it also has a mini NICU that's like attached to their, their delivery floor. So oh, wow. it, that beds. And so thankfully he was like just around the corner and down a hall. Um, that's cool. Yeah. But like, as they were wheeling him back, I was like, okay, I've only seen my child for like one second when I was being wheeled down the hall. Um, so they're going to bring him by my room. And when they do, like, I can just see his little ribs as he's like trying to breathe. And I was just like, like, he's struggling, go help him. Um, and yeah, that was, those were the only moments that I held him for the first three days of his life. Um, so yeah, he's in the NICU. He does really well, pulls out his breathing tube and his breathing just fine. 
um, I'm recovering, I'm pumping and like then shuffling down the hall to deliver my like tiny little cup of milk for him. Um, and he's released after four days in the NICU and for a C-section, they keep you for three to four days. So they just let me stay that fourth day. So that it all worked out fine. Nothing happened to him. They had said like, you know, 99% of the 99% chance he'll be totally fine from aspirating, but there's a 1% chance that like something will happen. And if that happens, you want him to be where there's the best care for him. And so, um, yeah, I guess it was like best case scenario for a worst case scenario, you know? Right. Right. So, um, my OB comes in sometime around when I was, when he was like signing my discharge papers and he was all, Oh, you know, when I did your C-section, I saw your pelvis and it's terrible for birthing and you'll (gasps) have a vaginal birth. And, um, he's like, time you get pregnant, just call my office and we'll schedule your C-section. And I was like, oh, um, okay. So oh my God, the nerve. Oh. Like this has been a very traumatic experience, sir. So don't tell me about my horrible pelvis. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this is uh, not what I need ever, but especially not in this oh, moment. Yeah. Rude. Um, and I was like, you know, like I have decent sized hips. Like I was banking on them being birthing hips. Right. Um, And also let me just say, and now of course I'm not a doctor, but everything that I have researched, that is like literally not a thing. However, like in the early 1900s, when rickets was common, which is a vitamin D deficiency where your bones get all like, they're not strong. They're almost like flimsy. There was like women who had malformed pelvises and literally could not birth like Mm -hmm. through that pelvis. So that's like, was a thing. But it's for a healthy woman that's like, yes. it's just not really applicable. Right. So it's just, it's so sad that that is even still being circulated. I know. I know. It was really like, kind of like getting kicked while you're down. Yeah. It felt entirely unnecessary. But you know, at the time I was just like, okay, whatever. Like, I just want to go home. Yep. And so I didn't really think about it for a while. Um, we were kind of struggling with our breastfeeding journey because, you know, Jack had been on an IV and then he'd been getting bottles of pumped milk. Like we were never in the same room. So we never had that time to like bond and establish that. Um, and so eventually I gave up and decided to exclusively pump. And I'm really fortunate I was able to do that for him. Um, but I just didn't have the emotional capacity to like revisit that birth and think about a future one until yep around eight months postpartum, I was like, okay, let's start thinking about this. Cause you know, like it's like six months postpartum, you start getting baby fever again. And you're like, <laughs> why do I have, I have a baby? Like there's a literal baby in my arms. Um, eight months I'm thinking about it. And I decided to do some research about my pelvis. That's terrible. Yeah. And find out it's not a thing. Um, like your pelvis and it makes sense. Like women are supposed to birth babies like our pelvis needs to be able to let a baby through this is like physiologically a thing mm-hmm. um, and the only time that you might not is if you have some sort of disability that impacts your pelvis or if you were in an accident where like you I don't know broke your pelvis or something like right. my supposed to be OP did <laughs> yeah. um, so I was like okay well now if I didn't dislike my OB before now I hate him. Yep. So I'm going to find a different one. Um, so 
after Jack turned one, we wanted to try for another and we were super excited to get pregnant right away. That was the really huge blessing. Um, and for my second pregnancy, my goal was I wanted to go as unmedicated as possible just because that first birth was super traumatic. And, um, I just, I didn't want to have that happen again. I didn't want another baby to end up in the NICU. I didn't want another 53 hour labor. Um, and so in order to do that, I, um, knew I needed to find a new OB. So I looked and I found one who delivered at the same hospital who has a really high VBAC rate and a really low C-section rate. Like the hospital's normal C-section rates, like 33% and his personal one was 15%. Wow. And so I was like, sign me up. Yep. That's your guy. (laughs) uh, Yep. So I went with him and at our first appointment, we discussed if I was even a candidate for a VBAC and he was, he listened to my story and he's like, you were not in labor ever. Like they were just trying to force labor and you were not, and your body wasn't ready. And so it wasn't going to react like it was ready. And he's like, I think you are a great candidate for a VBAC. You only ever got to three centimeters. Like we have no idea if your body could have done it on its own. So, um, that was really reassuring for me. Um, I also throughout this pregnancy, I started to do the spinning babies. They have like this video that's daily moves that you can do. Um, so I did those cause I didn't want another breach shenanigan. And I was like, I'm going to do whatever I can to keep baby in the perfect position. Um, I was even more sick this pregnancy. Mm. I actually had like really severe hyperemesis gravidarum. It was like the worst that my OB has ever seen. Oh gosh. I tried a bunch of medications. Um, none of them worked. Like we did diclegis, Reglan, Zofran. We tried different combinations, different times of the day. It didn't make a difference. Um, the only thing that helped was when I would go into the hospital to get fluids and they would give it to me through my IV. Um, like those medications and then they would work and I'd get like two hours of relief. And it was like the best two hours of my life, but I was afraid to eat anything during right. those two. Cause I'm like, well, what about when I come down off of it? Right. Um, so they set me up with a home health nurse who would bring me an IV into my living room. And I'm like supposed to just lay there and receive this IV as I have like a, he, Jack like was a one, one yeah. like a couple months. I'm like, he's like a baby toddler. Like yeah. I, I can't be attached to an IV. This is not realistic. Well, thankfully, I guess my body agreed because after two or three of those IV visits, um, they placed the IV and it just wouldn't go into my veins. My veins were too collapsed from being dehydrated Wow. and like wouldn't even receive the fluid. And so the nurse was like, I'm sorry, like there's nothing else I can really do. Talk to your OB about it at your next appointment. And so at my next appointment, you know, I talked to my OB and he's like, okay, so we're going to go across the street and admit you to the hospital. And we're going to set you up with a pick line. Um, So a pick line, it like goes in your arm and is threaded up through your shoulder. And then I think it like releases right around your vena cava, maybe, although that might be to that huge artery. Yep. Oh, yes. Good. Thank you. I was like, I don't know. (laughs) Something like that. Yeah. So they gave me, um, TPN, which is like a bag of nutrition that was on a pump and it would run for 23 hours of the day. Um, so I had that in a backpack that I could wear and there was also a bag of IV, like just like a lactated ringer in there, just okay. fluid. And then I was also through the pick line. I was able to intravenously give myself 
all those medications. So I used probably like nine different needles a day to get all of my medications in throughout the day. But honestly, I felt so much better because now I'm hydrated. Now I had fuel. Now I had the medications keeping me from feeling terrible. In around 30 weeks, I was able to come off the pick line, which was great because it was really inconvenient. And there's a risk of sepsis. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of scary. Um, And also it was hard to come off of it because I felt worse because all of a sudden, like it was up to me to be able to drink and eat and Mm -hmm. I couldn't have the IV medication, but I was just glad to be off of it. Um, so let's see, um, now at my 39 week appointment, um, they checked me and I'm one centimeter dilated. I'm happy with that. Um, at 39 weeks and two days, my husband has a business trip to leave for. So I was glad I was only one centimeter, although my OB ripped my membranes, Okay, Um, but my husband was only going, so we're in Southern California and he was only going to San Francisco. So I'm like, okay, worst case, he can hop back home and be home in a minute. Um, and my OB at that appointment, he's talking to me and he's like, so I think we should induce you on your due date. And I was like, I really don't want any interventions. And he was like, okay, like, do you want a VBAC? Because your odds of a successful VBAC go down the longer you get past your due date. I don't know if that's scare tactics. I was kind of struggling with, I was like, okay, well, I'll schedule it and I'll think about it and I can always cancel it. Um, so during that 39th week, you know, my husband's in San Francisco, um, and I'm having a lot of prodromal labor, I'm like losing my mucus plug. And I'm like, is it happening? It was not happening. Um, oh. So it was, I mean, I guess it was good because we didn't have to worry about whether Matt would be there or not. Um, right. But yeah, so I was just, I was really struggling with the decision of, do I want to go unmedicated and risk not having a VBAC? Or do I want to be induced and risk the cascade of interventions? It was like I had to choose Mm -hmm. which one felt like the least risky option. And so I, um, I called and I talked to the nurse who she had done a couple of my appointments and she was like, you know, I understand your hesitations. Like that makes perfect sense, especially with your history, but he has his really high VBAC rate for a reason. And so if it were my daughter, I would recommend that she follow what he recommends. Okay. And so I, I'll do it. And so, um, I did come up with a plan because I was like, I don't know, maybe I do have a terrible pelvis. Maybe that first OB was right. Who knows? So if I'm only three centimeters dilated after 24 hours of labor, then I'll just do a C-section because I'm not having this like 53 hour tired baby end up in NICU situation again. Right. So, um, so I, um, go in and they got me in on my due date, but it was like 11 at night and they start Pitocin around 1130 and then they check me at 1230 and I'm two centimeters. They're like, okay, we'll break your water. Things are moving along. I'm excited and I'm telling my nurse about like, oh yeah, you know, like I'm just hoping I can get past three centimeters and telling her about what happened before. And she just looks at me and she's like, you have to let that go. Like that was your pre experience. Like you are going to have 
a new experience. And the way that that birth went is its own thing. Let it go. Let this be its own story. And that was really helpful. Um, and shortly after that, you know, I'm feeling things because my water's broken now. There's no more cushion. It's intense. Pitocin makes it intense. And so I'm trying different positions, trying to get comfortable, trying to let myself open. And um, those stinking monitors. I know it's like the way that my pregnant belly is shaped. It just like doesn't let the monitor stay put. But the nurses were just on my back again about my positions and having to lay in the bed. And I was like, finally, I was like, okay, well, can you just come and check on him like every 15 minutes then so that I can at least like try to make some progress here? I'm trying for a back, like give me a little room to breathe. Yeah. And so they, they would just come in and like adjust the monitor and check it for like a couple minutes. And then they'd leave me for like 15 minutes and then come back and do it again. And that helped. Um, so at 4.30 in the morning, they check me and I'm three centimeters. And I don't know, maybe most people wouldn't be excited to be three centimeters after like four or five hours of labor, but I was thrilled because it took me like 53 hours last time and I only got to three. So um, cruising. <laughs> I, I was like, sweet, here we go. Well, they check and like a couple minutes later, I start panicking because all of a sudden I have like this crazy pain in my hips and the front of my thighs. And I start throwing up from the intensity of my contractions. And I'm like, I would think this was transition, but I was literally three centimeters one second ago. So I'm just panicking and I'm like, you know what? I'm only three centimeters. I'm throwing up. I'm so tense. I'm just going to call for an epidural. Forget this. I've been up all night because we started an induction very dumbly at 1130 PM. And so um, they come in at 5.15 and they place the epidural and they give me like the lowest, lowest dose. So like I can still move. I can still feel everything that's happening. It's just like the barest edge is taken off um, because I didn't realize I had been in transition. Stop um, it. Yep. Yep. It's so much like your second birth story, <laughs> except I actually like got epidural medication through mine. <laughs> Um, so that's placed at five 15. They give me a peanut ball to lay on my side and like have my leg up on so that I can keep my pelvis open, which was unnecessary because she was in my pelvis. Um, and so I'm like, okay, Matt, fall asleep. Like I have an epidural, like do your thing. And I'm laying there trying to fall asleep. And I'm like, I feel like I'm pushing, (laughs) but I've never pushed before. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm laying there and I'm like, Hmm. This feels really, really weird, but the nurses just checked me and I was three centimeters. There's no way that I'm pushing. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to wait for 10 contractions. And after 10 contractions, I'll call the nurse. If I still feel like this after two contractions, I was like, nope, I'm definitely pushing. So I call the nurse and I'm like, I know this is so dumb. You just checked and I was three centimeters, but I feel like I'm pushing and I just need you to come and tell me that I'm not. <laughs> so she's like, okay, I'll be right there. So she comes and, you know, she pulls the blanket back and checks and she's like, oh, there's her head. And I was like, I knew it. I knew that I was interested in whatever. I mean, I wish, I don't know, maybe in the back of my mind, I knew looking back on it, it's so obvious 
And again, that hindsight, if I just trusted my instincts instead of the numbers, because things can go at a completely different, you know, you can be at a four and walk around for three weeks, or you can be zero centimeters and have your baby that night. Like then it doesn't tell you anything. Um, But it is hard in that situation. Yeah. It's hard because you don't, you don't know, you know? No. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, so they, um, her head's right there. Um, I push, she's born. All things are great. She's born at six in the morning. So, I mean, all things considered, it was a really great labor when I'm pushing, you know, they page the, um, the OB and he comes in and he's all told you, I'd get you your V back. Like he was the most cocky. OB loved that he was confident in my ability to have one and his ability to get me there. So that was great. Um, recovery was a breeze. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was really great. And I didn't know after that pregnancy, if I wanted to have another, Mm -hmm. it was so hard. And I was like, almost died multiple times. Um, and so we waited for a long time. My first two are 21 months apart. And then we have a three and a half year gap before third. We'd always wanted three kids, but just didn't know if it was worth it to risk putting me through that again. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully with my third was sick again, but not as bad as I was with Chloe. Um, so it was similar to Jack's where I was throwing up 10 times a day, <laughs> but still able to some food and drink down and it was okay. Um, I did so was have your, was your third a boy. Yeah. <laughs> so the girl made you yeah. sicker. It's a thing. Uh, so I think it might've been, yeah. yes, that was a thing. Yeah. And you know, it kind of makes sense too, because my mom was really sick when she was pregnant with me. I mean, I'm her only, so she didn't have any boys to compare to, but then my grandma was also really sick. She only had two daughters and she was super sick with both of them too. So I don't know. I mean, I think looking back, I think I probably had hyperemesis with all three of the pregnancies. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 10 times a day. Come on. (laughs) Yeah. I'd say you had it. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't dying with the boy. Um, So with this one, I did have partial placenta previa. So they were just keeping an eye on that. And I was like, man, now that I know I can have a V-back, am I going to have like placenta previa and have to have a (laughs) C-section? But so that's, that's when your placenta is kind of blocking the birth canal. Is that? Yeah. It's when is? the is too close to the cervix. And okay. so, um, there's just risks. I'm not actually sure what the risks are, but yeah. there's something about, they don't want you to go into labor vaginally with the placenta over the cervix. Sure. makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when they were doing all of my ultrasounds for the placenta previa, they did find that baby's kidney was measuring. One of them was measuring large. Um, and it was just something they monitored and they're like, could be something could be nothing. Most of the time it just resolves itself and you never even know that there was an issue. Don't worry about it. I'm like, well, then why are we having so many ultrasounds for it? Because it seems like you're worrying about it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, thankfully it never ended up being a thing, but, um, does kind of go hand in hand with having, um, oh gosh, what's the word? Polyhydramnios. That's when you have just like way too much, um, amniotic fluid. Oh, okay. 
Nobody ever measured my fluid levels to say if they were weird, but that'll come into play later. Um, so yeah, like this time my goal, cause I knew I could have a VBAC. My goal was to have, um, an unmedicated birth, but I also just, I really wanted to go into labor on my own. You know, it's my third child. And I haven't had that experience of that excitement of like, is this it? This is it. Like, let's go. And I just, I really wanted that. Um, And I also just really wanted to potentially avoid that cascade of interventions that just played out like a row of dominoes ticking down with Jack. Um, So I did a lot of things different this pregnancy to encourage my body to go into labor on its own. Um, I walked a ton, like every day I walked probably, I mean, it wasn't like that far. It was probably like three miles that I walked every day, but I did it every day. And part of that was, that is true. And I had, you know, two little kids and I was like, let's throw you in the stroller and just get out of the house. Like, let's do something. Um, I also continued with my spinning babies, daily moves. I sat on a yoga ball almost all the time. I drank a ton of red raspberry leaf tea. Um, I got chiropractic care just in my last, I think, months of pregnancy. And um, there were two books that were really helpful for me also. So one of them is called Active Birth, and it has like a blue cover. And it um, had a bunch of different like stretches you could do to help like prepare your body, I guess. Um, And so every night, you know, the kids would go to bed, Matt and I, we'd watch TV and I'd be on the floor doing my stretches, hanging over my ball, doing all these different things. And I mean, it felt really good too. Like it helped all of my like back pain. Um, And then there was also the book, um, Natural Childbirth, The Bradley Way. Oh yeah. Bradley Method. Yeah. um, I do not do the Bradley Method at all. Um, That honestly does not sound great my husband's very um type a and I don't think I don't think that would work well I think it might stress me out more I'm like I want you here but like be your own thing oh yeah Um, I'm like don't touch me don't get involved just be there like don't even touch my hand I don't want you to hold my hand like I need to be alone but like also don't leave me (laughs) right exactly that's how I am so um that also had a bunch of different um stretches and things you could do And so I did all of those and I mean, like I wasn't a crazy person with it. It was just like, you know, if I'm going to sit on the couch and watch a show, I can sit on the floor and stretch. Right. So, um, and then the other thing that I did was, oh, I should also mention my chiropractor that I saw in that last month. She was also spinning babies certified. Oh, cool. Showed me how to do a couple of the positions. I guess there were just like tiny tweaks I could make that would help. Um, and then she also used the rebozo and would like mm. shift, sift, sift my belly, I think. Yeah. And that felt so amazing. Um, and then the other thing that I did was I got my own peanut ball. So when you're pregnant and you're like supposed to sleep on one side, you can mm-hmm. sleep with a pillow between your legs to help keep alignment. And I'm like, if I can sleep with a pillow between my legs, I can sleep with a peanut ball between my legs. I mean, it wasn't great with like the blankets over it and everything. But, you know, I was, I was committed to keeping this pelvis nice and open. I was honestly traumatized from my first birth. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I was like, I'm going to sleep with a peanut ball. And it was, it was good, I guess. I mean, 
no real complaints except for the blankets were like sticking to it because they're like that weird it's like rubbery yeah yeah that's smart yes. though. That's like a good swap. I mean, it makes sense. If you're right. you have a pillow there anyway. Yeah. 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 I mean, I will say it's a lot taller than a pillow. Okay. So kind of have to angle your body a little bit differently, but it was exactly my whole thing was like, what can I do? That's an easy swap that will just encourage my body to be more optimally prepared. I can stretch instead of sitting on the couch. I can use a peanut ball instead of a pillow. I can drink some red raspberry leaf tea instead of some of my water, you know, like, well, I guess yep. I still drink water, but you know, a cup of tea instead. Right. Um, so yeah, at my 38 week appointment, I was one centimeter dilated and 80% effaced, which I was super excited about. Um, and during that next week, I started to have a ton of prodromal labor and, um, it didn't feel like it wasn't intense. It wasn't painful, but it was definitely like rhythmic contractions and it was not Braxton Hicks. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'd have those, you know, throughout the day and then I'd go to bed with my peanut ball and I'd have like four contractions and be like, Ooh, maybe tonight's going to be the night. <laughs> and then I'd fall asleep and I'd wake up the next morning and be like, well, guess that wasn't the night. Um, Still pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, you know, 38 weeks, of course I was still pregnant. It's fine. Right. Um, but I don't know. I've heard a lot of people have prodromal labor that like keeps them up at night and goes away during the day. So I was really thankful that I was still at least able to get some sleep. Yeah, um, that's huge. Yeah. But it was also kind of like mentally exhausting because I'm like, I don't know what going into labor feels like. Yep. I'm just having all this like weird stuff. Um, so I go to my 39 week appointment. And I'm three centimeters dilated. Ooh. But like for me, it's such a big deal to hit that yeah. three centimeters. I was right. like, yeah, so I was just happy my prodromal labor was doing something. Um, and then two days before my due date, my parents, okay, so my parents, like a month before this, had taken Jack for the day to go to Disneyland and have like a fun special day with Mimi and Papa. And, so then two days before my due date, they were like, let's give Chloe her turn. So they take her and she gets to go do the whole princess thing. And it's great. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to do something special with Jack while it's just him and me today. And so I pick him up from his preschool co-op and I'm like, oh, let's go to Target. You can pick out a toy. And so he picks out a Hot Wheel and then I'm like, let's get lunch and we go get pizza. And it was just like really special. And I remember while we were at pizza, my prodromal labor started up again. And I was like, okay, well, here we go again. Just another day of the same, whatever. Didn't think anything of it. Um, so we stayed up late that night. I feel like this always happens. People are like, the one night I stayed up late was the night I went into labor. Yep. <laughs> stayed up late and I didn't go to bed until like 1130, which is late for me. I don't know. That's probably not late no, for a That long. is definitely late for me oh too. Oh my gosh. Like <laughs> non-pregnant me is like 9 30 I'm like hey good night bedtime yep same yep. yep um so you know I went to bed lay there with my peanut ball and instead of falling asleep after a couple of contractions they just keep coming and they're not any more intense than they were but I can't really sleep through them because they're happening like every three minutes and they they don't hurt but I'm definitely aware of them okay so I get up and I like go talk to Matt and I'm like, Hey, like, 
my my prodromal labor thing is like it's not going away it's just it's still happening um so I'm not sleeping and he's all oh well we need to go to the hospital and I was like no no no. I want to have a natural birth which means I need to labor at home as long as possible and also my husband was supposed to have this really big meeting that next day with one of his clients at work and it was like a big deal and I was like we are not going to the hospital where they're gonna be like here's three centimeters dilated go back home And then you're going to be so tired during your meeting. Like, no, we're not doing that. And he was like, okay, well, I want us to go to the hospital. So if I'm tired, that's on me. And so I was like, okay, well, let me go get ready. And so I was like, get ready. So slow. So I like (laughs) curl my hair. I do (laughs) the makeup, like being so dramatic. Like I'm going to take my sweet time. Well, the contractions are still coming. And now that I'm standing up, they're getting a little bit more intense. And I'm like, oh, maybe I am at least in early labor. Maybe this is like not prodromal labor, but actual labor this time. And so I feel a little bit better about calling my parents over. Poor things. They were so tired after spending the whole day at Disneyland with a three-year-old. I'm like, hey, how was that one hour of sleep? Um, <laughs> need ya. <laughs> so they came over at 1245. Um, so a little after midnight. And by the time they got there, like I remember walking into the kitchen to talk to them and like just leaning my arms against the countertop and like letting my belly hang. Like my contractions were not intense. There was no pain, but I do remember that that just felt really good. Um, and I do think that things maybe were not very intense because my water was still intact. Hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, I feel like you never really, (laughs) you were never in active labor without your water being intact. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So maybe that was why I was so like, not sure if I was actually in labor and I was really nervous that the drive to the hospital would stop things because sometimes like a change of scenery can make things stop. Mm -hmm. And when we left, um, shortly after 1245, my contractions were about every three minutes apart. Um, and then I had like a six minute break in the car and then I had a contraction. I was like, Oh, thank goodness. (laughs) Never (laughs) happy to have traction. Um, and things continued to get more intense. The, um, the hospital wasn't super, super close. It was like a 20 minute drive. If there's no traffic, which in Southern California, there can be a ton of traffic. So I was mm-hmm. glad it was the middle of the night and there was no traffic. Um, we got to the hospital at like 1.15. And I remember sitting in the lobby waiting for the elevator to take me up to the L&D floor. And so I'm sitting in this wheelchair and Matt tries to say something to me. And I just like put my hand up. I'm like, I can't listen to you right now. Like, so at that point, they still like they were more intense, but I would not say they were painful. But I didn't want to think about anything else during the contractions. Okay. So, um, so at this point, were you were you still kind of were you like a little pissed to be at the hospital, or were you like full, you're now you're fully on board? Like I'm in early labor. I'm happy to be here. Like, what, how are you feeling? I was fully on board, but I okay. also <laughs> like pretty sure I was going to be like three or four centimeters, and they were going to okay. be like time to admit you yet go walk for an hour and I was like I don't want to I should also mention this was the 
end of February, 2020. Mm. And so COVID was like a thing being talked about, like the world hadn't shut down yet, but like there were a bunch of people standing in the waiting room with like scarves wrapped around their faces, packing up lungs. And I was like, I don't really around that. No, like I don't right before I have a newborn, like, right know if it was like everything that it was being hyped up to be because you know the NBA was still playing at that point so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um but yeah so I was like I don't really want to be walking around in a hospital but I do feel like this is actually at least some stage of real labor okay um so we get up to triage um they make me lay down in a bed which is the worst Yes. And all of a sudden I'm like tensing up during contractions and they're way, way worse. And the nurse is like, you need to relax. And I remember just her saying that I was like able to completely relax. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I do need Matt to like help me and just remind me to relax when I'm getting all like worked up and crazy. I never told him any of that and I didn't end up needing to, but um, apparently I can receive encouragement during contractions. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, so she's like, okay, let's check you. So she checks and she's like, okay, so you're six centimeters dilated and your water bag is bulging. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like this was 145 and I like hadn't felt like I was even potentially in labor until like 1240, like only an hour before. Um, So I was super excited about that. I had never, you know, I'm like, wow, my body is doing this thing that I've always wanted to see if it could do. This is amazing. I was thrilled. And so they're like, okay, we're going to wheel you down the hall to labor and delivery. And, um, I'm like laughing with the nurse as they're wheeling me down the hall, like totally happy. Like I'm on cloud nine (laughs) and at, you know, and my contractions are like every three minutes apart and the walk down the hall was only a couple minutes. So I was able to be laughing. We pull into the labor and delivery room. They stick me in a room that, um, is completely unprepared. Like it has a bed, but it doesn't have anything else that they need. And they put me in there because, you know, I'm six centimeters. We've still got a little bit of time. You've got time. Yeah. They wheel around. And I start having another contraction because, you know, it was like a two minute wheel down the hall. And I'm just like chatting with the nurse. And I'm like, it just like, it feels really weird. Like, I feel like if I could just pee during a contraction, I would feel so good. And I'm like, I've had a VBAC, like. this doesn't feel like that, like need to poop push type feeling like, like weird pressure. Like if I could pee, I'd feel fine. Like, I just feel like that would be the most, the best way to get through a contraction. And the nurse is like, I need to check you. And I was like, no, they just checked me just right before I was wheeled down the hall. And I was six centimeters. Like, it's just because my water bag is bulging. I don't know. It's like all this collagen I've been taking. I have like (laughs) this really strong water bag bulging. I don't know. I'm like, it's just um, and she's like, oh, I'm going to check you. So get up on the bed. And so I get on the bed and she's like, you're 10 centimeters. And I was like, oh my God, are you kidding? She's like, that pressure is because you're like birthing your water bag right now. <laughs> and so then they're like calling out into the hallway. We need to get everything set up for this room. And they're like, for room six, she was just laughing. <laughs> and like, I don't know. You're like, yes, I'm a goddess. It's fine. <laughs> Birthing unicorn. No, not really. Like I've earned it. Oh, you did earn it. You sure did earn it. (laughs) Um, But you know, you lay on your back and that 
was so uncomfortable. Like I was totally fine to manage contractions in any other position. And then they have me lay on my back and it's like super intense. And I think part of it was probably mental too. Cause they're like, Oh, you're 10 centimeters. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, Oh, this is where it's, it's supposed to be painful. And so right. it was, um, so it was probably a combination of that. Um, so the doctor comes in, not my OB, whoever's on call. I don't know. I mean, I didn't really care that it wasn't my OB. Like, you know, they're there for like three minutes. It's fine. Right. Exactly. So, um, this OB comes in and she's like, okay, so we have a couple options. We can break your water. And no, that wasn't the first option. The first option was we can call for an epidural. And I, I know. What? I, You're like about to push the baby out. I know. I know. They're like, we can call for an epidural. It'll take about 45 minutes, probably about an hour and 10 minutes by the time it's all placed and you're feeling good. We can do that. Or we can break your water. And it's going to be super, super intense, but you'll have your baby in your arms in like 10 minutes. So which do you want? And me, who has always wanted to have an unmedicated birth, look at Matt and I'm like, which one do I want? Like, he's Neither. all, uh, why would you choose an epidural? This is like your dream come true. Yeah. Like, okay. Then I'm like, okay, go ahead and break my water. Which now I wish I hadn't because like I could have like had a baby and call and that would have been oh, so that would have been cool. sweet. <laughs> but no, I said, okay, go ahead and break my water. Um, and they're like, okay, so typically when like your water bag is bulging like this and we break your water, it's possible that you will like undilate down to like an eight or a nine um, just because maybe the water bag is holding your cervix open. And I'm like, that's fine. Um so they break my water and it is like an absolute tidal wave. They're like, we have never seen this much fluid before. Like, did they diagnose you with poly, whatever that thing is that I yeah. couldn't say earlier. Um, and I was like, no, I was never diagnosed with that. Like baby had a weird kidney thing. And they're like, okay, that can go hand in hand with this. It's like an enlarged kidney and like way too much fluid. Um, so apparently I just had like so, so much fluid and that could be why I was very uncomfortable at the end. Um, yeah. but, um, yeah, so I could have potentially undilated a little bit, but I didn't No, no. He basically <laughs> rocketed through the vaginal canal and I had no time to stretch. This is my one thing. Like, I wish I had not had my water broken so that I could have just like had time to stretch out because I didn't. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm just like pushing immediately. Right. And um, screaming quite loudly yep. during, the, but like, you know, I'm like talking totally fine between them, but screaming while I'm pushing. Um, isn't it so weird how like from one minute I to have, the next, it's like I completely had, different worlds. <laughs> yes. And I had no idea. Like I am like a pretty soft spoken person and my husband afterward, he's like, I had no idea you could get to that volume. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, surprise. And I'm like, I feel like the anesthesiologist probably should have like given me a royalty or something because I'm pretty sure I sold some epidurals that night because of, <laughs> of your mom. screams. Yes. Other laboring moms were asking their nurses if that screaming girl was okay. Seriously. Oh my God. <laughs> if I, I had, if I had been in a hospital with my first, they, that would have happened. Cause I was scream like loud screaming yes. for an hour I pushed for an hour yes. so. oh my <laughs> gosh in between even... it's like da, 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 you know yeah, totally fine it's the wildest thing like 
bodies are crazy. I know it's really Uh, wild. Yeah. So I'm pushing and I push his head out and then they're like, I'm like, yay, finally. And then they're like, no, no, sweetie, you still have to push out his shoulders. I'm like, what do you mean? I have to push out his shoulders. (laughs) Um, so I had to, and you know, I'm feeling myself tear and this isn't to like scare anybody, but you know, when your skin is ripping, you can feel it happen. Um, and so I'm feeling that, but you know, the only way out is through. So get him out. And he was my biggest baby. Um, so that kind of, I guess makes sense. And also just like with him coming out so fast, my body had no time to like acclimate to stretch it all. It well, was and just, you have a terrible pelvis, so. Right. I know my horrible, horrible <laughs> pelvis was really <laughs> I love, I love that in your next two births, it was almost like your uterus and your pelvis conspired. Like that guy sucks. We're going to yes. just freaking rock this. <laughs> like, I know. I know. <laughs> I'm like, you are full of baloney, sir, because yeah. <laughs> I have been fine. Um, but yeah, so I tore pretty badly, but this was my easiest recovery, which really shocked me because wow. after Chloe, I'd had, they said I had like road rash and they gave me like one stitch just for fun. I don't know. Okay. This one, they like stitched up substantially. Um and still it was my easiest recovery. I think probably because, you know, like when there's no interventions medically, your body can have all of those hormones that right. it's supposed to have, supposed to help you through. And it was honestly awesome. Like healing was easy and we were able to breastfeed really great. Um, well, for a while he did end up having severe food allergies to literally oh, no. everything. I got to the point where I was eating only turkey and carrots and he still was having issues. And I was like, I can't do this. Like, yeah. Oh my gosh. I find the one food I can eat. And like, I'm like, I can't, I'm sorry. But I can't. (laughs) Um, but yeah, um, those are my three very, very different stories. And I think it's interesting looking back, like just kind of the progression where like, you know, you go from C-section to, a medicated hospital birth to an unmedicated hospital birth. Just like, I think the faith that I had in my body was building. Um, and I think just being more informed really helped. And I do encourage, um, yeah, because like, this is what your body's built for. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, has kind of restored my faith in my body that it can yeah. do the supposed to do. And um oh I guess I should mention Harvey was born at 2 15 in the morning. Um Holy after crap. I I'm totally sure I wasn't even in labor at 12 45. So <gasps> they were like um it's a good your husband forced you to come into the hospital because you would have had your baby in the car. Um yeah. or at I, home. <laughs> or at home which yeah. like Kind of would have been dreamy, but stressful yeah. without someone there to like. Yeah, that's kind of traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like Harvey was like laying on my chest, and they're like, they walk over to the computer, they're like, let's get you checked into the system. Oh, <laughs> let's do that. Um, yeah. So those are my oh my gosh my three very stories. 
It's so funny because when you first said your husband was like, I want to go to the hospital, I was like a little mad at him. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, she, doesn't, she doesn't want to go. Don't make her. But my God, he was right. He had that I, like intuition. Yeah. Yes, I know. And when he was saying that, I was kind of mad at him too. And I was like, okay, cervix, you cooperate. We get there and you be two centimeters dilated just to show him. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I also feel like, okay, first off, I need to make sure that I'm linking the Bradley book, which I know about, but the blue book that you were talking about, I didn't know. Um, yeah, really? I want to, I'll link those in the show notes because those Active. sound awesome. And I feel like just all of the things that you did in your third trimester, like all stretching consistently daily, like chiropractic, mm-hmm. peanut ball every mm-hmm. night, um, all the walking, mm-hmm. like what a testament mm-hmm. to how... Oh. Yes. I mean, well-prepared your body. Like you didn't even, you were laughing through transition. Right. I mean, that's like kind of unheard of. Like that's amazing. Yeah. Oh. So I'm like, okay, gotta be check, check, check. Gotta be doing all those yeah. things. I mean, I already, <laughs> I already drink my red raspberry leaf tea. I love my red raspberry leaf tea, but uh, I could pick it up with the stretching for sure. I'm not doing anything like that now. So I'm like, okay, go start stretching and maybe order a peanut ball. <laughs> your veins, you might not want to I'm like well maybe it being elevated wouldn't be a bad thing I don't know No, I think it would actually be better yeah because it's like a problem that like there's well and also when you're laying down it's like fine anyway because you're but elevated is actually good so maybe that would be a a double (laughs) bonus it has no other use (laughs) I know yeah I don't know my kids actually liked playing on it they're like it's like a pony I'm like oh there you go but but yeah <laughs> uh, they have imaginations for sure. <laughs> oh man. Well, thank you so much. These like I think it's so helpful to hear stories like this because I know that there's so many women out there who have had births just like your first where, you know, it just kind of went off the rails and it was mm-hmm. traumatic and, you know, I think there's so much fear that comes, like you said, it, t- it took you eight months to even consider like, yeah. cause it's, it's a lot, it's a lot to go through and to hear, you know, that you can come out the other side and have this beautiful birth. And it wasn't immediate, you know, like your second was kind of this middle of the road, like yeah, yeah, step down. Right. Exactly. And I, I think it's just a really beautiful forget progression. And of course, all birth stories are beautiful, right? Like they're all the birth of a child and it's sacred and it's special. And, um, but it's nice to know that you can have an experience like you had and then have the complete opposite positive version of that as well. Um, so yeah, so I just really appreciate you coming on. Cause I think a lot of women will appreciate hearing this and maybe you'll learn a lot from it. Um, and maybe just be able to relate as well. Yeah, for sure. I'm really happy I was able to come on and share. I'm just, I hope that it can encourage a mom who maybe isn't happy with how one of their birth stories has gone, like that that doesn't have to be the end. You don't have to be guaranteed. Like if I had just gone off of my first OB's word, I would have had three C-sections and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But um, just the fact that, you know, it's not set in stone. You don't know what's going to be around the corner and if it's something you desire, then it's something worth pursuing. Right. Exactly. And committing to and, and doing all the things. Doing to, all the things. I know. I had, yeah. 
like totally off my rocker. And I was like, you know, I don't care. I'm just going to sit here and stretch. You be over there and be unflexible. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, it worked. So just saying. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, and I feel like all those things are practical, though. I mean, instead of sitting on the couch, you can stretch. That's not a hard thing to do. You know, nope. I mean, you're not. Nope turning your life upside down like a crazy person like no. that's easy you know and I that's- still add on the couch sometimes oh sure yeah yeah of course yeah Not the whole time <laughs> right yeah exactly so I found that very encouraging and inspiring and I'm definitely going to like implement some of that stuff um because I certainly could use it I think um and any mom I mean I, I think that's such a huge piece of preparing for birth and I think with our the way that our system is set up, um, especially with like obstetrical care, mm-hmm. that conversation isn't so much a part of prenatal care. Um, maybe you have an OB that, you know, will kind of have that conversation with you, but I think there's also tons that just, it's just kind of like, yep, well, when you're this many weeks, if you want to be induced, we can do that and we'll kind of see you there and it'll be fine. And there's no yeah. Um, conversation about that, unless you seek it out or someone tells you like, Hey, you should be like doing a lot of things to prepare your body. Like it's, you know, yeah, no OB ever asked me like, what are you doing to prepare yourself for labor? None ever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you're not like, if you're not seeing a midwife or, um, kind of going the more natural route, to begin mm-hmm. with, I feel like it's just, it's not, it's certainly not commonplace, right. For, right. for that to be just like a part of your prenatal care. And it's so, it's so important. And I feel like your story is such a huge testimony to how much it can help just all those little things every day, just to keep your body aligned and prepared. And, um, there's just, there's just a lot that goes into it, but again, it's not huge, crazy things. It's just no. little stuff that you can do. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I also, I mean, like I held my birth, like desires in an open hand, you know, sure. like I'm not, I'm not like guaranteeing that doing all these things made it happen. But I mean, in my mind, you know, you can do everything that's in your power and then you can rest easy with the outcome because you know that you did your part. I didn't want to like at the end of like some traumatic birth, be like, man, I wish I had done this or I could have done that or whatever. You know, I didn't want to feel like I'd had so many opportunities before me that I just didn't take, you know, like I wanted to feel like, okay, I did my part regardless of the outcome. I can feel confident in like what I did. And I think that's literally the best way to approach birth. Like do everything you can that's in your control to feel Mm -hmm. calm and confident to mm-hmm. physically be prepared, mentally be prepared, but also hold the outcome loosely because I mean, and I know in my own personal experience, mm-hmm. it can go like it can go off the rails and it can be at, not at all what you planned for, but it right. doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. And right. as long as you kind of approach it with, you know, I'm going to do everything that I can in my power to have the outcome I want, but also knowing that it's not fully in your control. If you can kind of find that balance, I think that's like the best way to enter into one of, you know, this huge moment in your life. For sure. Well, thank you so much. This was so nice chatting. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, I loved your story so much. We'll be sure to link the books that you mentioned in the show notes. Um, so if you guys want to check those out, but thank you so much, Hannah, it was so nice chatting with you. And I'm sure everyone loved hearing your stories as much as I did. (laughs) 
Awesome. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys. I hope you enjoyed listening to Hannah's stories just as much as I did. So many ups and downs. I feel like her first experience, um, which was unfortunately pretty traumatic, I feel like it's also unfortunately kind of common for those experiences to happen and it's just so hard when you're a first-time mom like you just don't really you don't really know like you don't have necessarily like that confidence build up to like you know make judgment calls and you know you just want your baby to be safe and you know all these things and you know if they're saying like let's just go ahead and do an induction it's like cool I get to meet my baby it's exciting but you know sometimes these things do happen of course there's tons of times where inductions go perfectly fine and (laughs) there's no hiccups whatsoever but I just loved kind of hearing the progression of her stories I feel like there's a lot to take from that especially if you're a mom listening who maybe has had a traumatic birth experience in the past I hope that you can you know maybe take some hope from her story that you know you too can have this like beautiful healing um, kind of rebound experience and it's like it, it may not, it may not be the next birth, you know, the next birth might not be like this perfect dreamy, everything you could have ever wanted birth, just like hers wasn't, but it was kind it was, it was better. And it was like headed in the right direction. And then with that final baby, I mean, holy crap, what a unicorn birth story. I'm like, can I sign up for that? That sounds really nice. Um, so you betcha I'm going to be doing those uh, <laughs> spinning baby stretches. I'm immediately looking that up and I'm going to start doing those every day and I could definitely be walking more. I mean, super inspired by her walking three miles a day with a stroller. I don't know, maybe that sounds easy to some of you listening, but to me that sounds like wow, that is a big deal. Especially where we live, it's so hilly. I'm like, I can't even imagine pushing a stroller on these hills for like one mile, let alone three. So for sure going to be doing those stretches because what a testament to how they, you know, could possibly help. So anyway, I hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast episode. Super excited to be back with you guys next week to discuss the next few weeks of this pregnancy, we are moving along. Every time I sit down to do this, I'm like, whoa, okay, this pregnancy is kind of flying. Some days it feels like I'm stuck in limbo and I'm just like, okay, can we get to closer to the end where it's like a little bit more exciting? There's like the anticipation factor. I'm just feeling like ready to be there, but I'm not there yet. So some days it feels like it's kind of drawn out. and then, But then when I sit down to do these, I'm like, whoa, okay, this is like kind of flying by. We're going to have a baby soon. So just kind of funny. So anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back um, very soon with another episode. Make sure to give us a five-star review if you are enjoying the podcast because that is the best way for other people to find us and be able to tune in. Um, So anyway, yeah, I will see you guys soon. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you. Okay, bye.